that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Doing great. Hey, hey good. doing really good. It's good to be on. Matt, it's been, it's been a while, Matt. Haven't been on uh, uh, an actual voice-to-voice chat with you in quite some time. I'm excited. Yeah, it's probably since like October of 2018, right before the oil market crashed. Hey, let's kill the oil market again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the last time we did one of these, uh, the roundtable shows was, uh, as you mentioned, so I think it was last September or October um, of last year. We had the Writers Conference uh, here at Full HQ. Uh, <laughs> as Jason called out, we basically kind of hit the top of the oil market, uh, and th- folks, uh, you know, that really fell from there. Uh, today, uh, you know, I just want to talk off off the top of the show, just kind of the state of the energy industry. Uh, so you look back over the past decade. Uh, it's been kind of a wild ride for the energy markets. If you look at the, the S&P 500 uh, energy ETF, it's up 9% over the last decade. But you know the first half of the decade, you're up 75%, 80% as the, the beginning of the, the shale explosion took place. Uh, and, but you know valuations have really come down significantly. And just a couple of weeks ago, uh, there, was a, there was a report from Bank of America Merrill Lynch out saying that Apple is now bigger than the entire S&P 500 energy, section, uh, energy uh, subsector. So, you know, as we kind of look at the energy market today in the context of, you know, what's been a wild uh, past decade, what do you think is the current state of the energy market today for investors? I'll start off with that one. Uh, it's been tough. I mean, if you look at it, you could have done better in like a CD than the energy sector, which is just mind blowing considering how much energy we, we use every day. And a lot of that goes down to companies just been like really bad at investing their capital. However, it, I think that they're it's changed a lot, and that's why I think it's pretty attractive. Like pipeline companies are just so cheap right now; they're really doing a good job of uh, getting good returns on their projects. Renewable yield codes are another thing that I like. So infrastructure, I think, is a, a really exciting, uh, you know, looking forward with energy. Yeah, I, this is Jason. I, I I'll agree with Matt. Um, with within within the confines of you're talking about particularly oil and gas. The companies that have predictable revenue streams, um, the pipeline companies definitely. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot that look really, really cheap, and there's there's catalysts for growth there too, right? You know, if you look at some of the new oil and energy plays and trying to connect places to, um, you know, connect markets to supply, he's right. It definitely carries over to renewable yield codes. Um, you, you've you've got a lot of a lot of really good infrastructure and like capital asset management companies that have figured out where to make money in renewables um, and the companies that, that their prices are still tied to commodity or their, their prospects are still tied to commodity prices. I'm looking at you independent oil and gas exploration, expl- explorers and producers. Um, they just seem to destroy capital. And I don't think that their prospects are necessarily as a, as a as a class as a category maybe but I think the problem is picking the winners and so I, I think for the most part investors continue to avoid those peer plays in the ENP sector and look at the ones that the companies that have the predictable revenue streams sure I know you know to, to your point on the ENP sector we've seen a number of, of write downs uh, just in the past week we saw uh, you know when we're recording this here in the middle of December 
Uh, we saw Chevron just took a uh, you know ten to eleven billion dollar write down on some of its natural gas assets, and you, you've, you've teed the, teased this, and maybe I want to pull the thread on this uh, a, a little bit more. Uh, there's been a lot of pessimism, uh, negativity around the E and P players, uh, around uh, you know Chevron is is a fully integrated player, but particularly around uh, these independents. Uh, do you think that that pessimism really is warranted, and that you know we're seeing a sustained uh, period where where those you know companies aren't going to be able to perform in today's environment? Yeah, uh, I, I, to some degree, I think absolutely. Um, the independence, you know, we for those of us that went through you know 2014, 2015, 2016, and watched oil bottom in the 20s, and then this 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 new emergence of capital discipline that we saw in the year or so year and a half or so after that kind of felt optimistic that hey maybe 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 this sector of of the market these guys that are so they live and die by commodity prices maybe they finally got it figured out but i mean here we are three years later and guess what you know they're they're still hammers and everything they see is a nail and and it's all about drilling more wells as being the solution and you know, it's, again, it proves that it's not a sustainable answer. You can't blow through capital, blow through capital when <clears throat> commodity prices are rebounding, and and expect to be in a position to do well when uh, when commodity prices don't necessarily hold up. Uh, but with that, I mean, with that said, you know, I look at the you look at the spider E and P uh, index, uh, the the ETF uh, ticker is XOP. It's down like. At 29% year to date. And I think it's, it's, it might be like an all time low. If it's not an all time low, it's very close to it. Um, I, I just, I can't help but wonder if maybe, maybe there's, you know, taking a basket approach and buying that index is not, is if there's, if there's not some opportunity. Um, but, but, but it's just, it's such a hard business to make money in, especially with, uh, with so much, you know, secondary gas being, you know, produced uh, from oil drillers. It's just, I'm not sure. It's just, it, it just really scares me away from that, that segment. I agree with a lot of what Jason said there. It's been just so tough to pick winners in, uh, in this sector. I mean, they just burn through capital like crazy. But however, it's been interesting to listen to how managements have kind of changed their tune in the last couple of years. There's been this talk about where, how much free cash that they can generate. And they're starting to use that in shareholder-friendly things. A lot of them have started paying dividends. They're doing share buybacks. And I really like that. I think that's a big positive. And if, as more companies kind of get on board with that, I think that'll be a positive for the sector because they're really shifting away from this drill baby drill thing to, hey, let's try to make our investors some money. And a lot of them can, can do this. They can grow at a decent rate plus generate free cash flow in like the $45 to $50 a barrel range, which, you know, as we're recording it today, oil's around 60. So, I mean, they're just, they're making a lot of money. It's just, it, it hasn't boosted their stock prices yet. And so it'll be interesting to see if that's, if that yet starts happening as they buy back their shares. And that's why I'm, I'm optimistic, especially on the lowest cost from producers. I think they could really make investors some money. Yeah, I think it's something we'll continue to follow here, uh, certainly. As we move into this, I guess, 
I guess the 2010s were the first real full decade uh, that shale was involved in the energy markets. Uh, you know, in the, the first part of that, that period, you could see how the markets were very much focused on growth and how can I show increased production year over year. As you see, uh, as both of y'all, y'all mentioned, uh, focus turned more towards cash flows. Uh, maybe we'll see some consolidation in the sector. Um, uh, the environment has definitely changed when it comes to the need for profitability and the focus on uh, getting those costs down. Um, another important story that uh, you know we're seeing really materialize this year, but that's been talked about the past several years, is the Saudi Aramco IPO. You know, I mentioned in the in the off the top of the show how the S and P S and P 500 energy sector is now smaller than Apple. Well, uh, Saudi Aramco by itself uh, is around 1.7 trillion dollars today, so so bigger uh, uh, than Apple. Uh, this company just came public. We don't have a ton of information about it. Uh, but what should investors, uh, energy investors, be aware of with this business? It, how significant um, is this IPO uh, for the sector and for energy markets and more broadly? Matt, you want to go first on this one? Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. I think it's it's a good thing for investors for that Saudi Aramco public because they've been able to kind of manipulate the market behind the scenes, and they won't be able to do that so much now. They've got a different. Um, class for less you know for lack of a better word to answer to which is investors now whether they'll they'll run their business for investors or run their business for the kingdom of Saudi Arabia raises the scene but if they don't they're going to have a lot of upset people that bought into this IPO so I think that they they might uh, you know keep a lid on their production and that should boost the oil prices so it's a I think it's a net positive for the market. So I, I I agree. I think it is a net positive for the market in terms of potentially getting a little more information again about you know the the absolute you know the 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 gorilla in the in the in the global energy room. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I think I can answer Matt's questions that rem, remain to be seen about how Saudi Aramco is going to manage this business, and it's going to manage this business. I think this is my prediction exactly the same way it has. Uh, the, the, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia is still by far the biggest investor, um, will always be the biggest investor. And I think that it will not blink to, to, to do things that are still in the kingdom's best interest if they're not in shareholders' best interest. So, so with that said, I think, Matt, I don't want to speak to, uh, on your behalf here, but I think you'd probably agree with me. This is, I, don't, I don't think this is an investment for, that retail investors should consider. I don't think there's enough upside. I don't think there's enough value. I don't think there's enough downside protection when there are plenty of appropriate investments um, that, that you can make that would give you, you know, great returns or income or whatever you, your, your focus is. Uh, but I do like the fact that it's there, that, that it can maybe give us a little more information. But I don't think it changes anything about what Saudi Aramco does or why it does it. Yeah, I agree with Jason. It's interesting to watch, but not something that I would put my money in. To both of y'all's points, this is a company that I think should be the poster child for what uh, political risk when it comes to investing in a company. Uh, the Aramco example highlights something that's more more broad uh, to the energy sector is just how intertwined uh, the energy industry can sometimes be uh, with both uh, government policy um, and regulation. And I think today that we, we see that in no other uh, you know more apparent way than concerns about climate change and, and what actions the government should take uh, along those lines. We just saw Greta Thunberg uh, from the from the climate strike be named the time person of the year. We saw the EU announce a new Green Deal uh, this past week, and we see uh, the 2020 election uh, is coming up this year. So from the perspective of an energy investor, 
Uh, what will you be paying attention to on this policy government side uh, of the market uh, when it comes to your investments? One thing that I've noticed that companies are already talking about is the possibility of fracking bans on federal lands. Some of the candidates on the Democratic side have said that they would institute um, permit uh, moratoriums on granting permits and things like that. And that is, that's one of the things that's kind of weighed on the US E&P sector, because a lot of these companies, especially on in places like the Permian Basin, that's all federal land or a lot of it's federal land that they've got that they've leased from. And so that could impact their ability to grow. It would shift where they can grow and they might not be able to you know, drill the highest return well. So that's something that, you know, could definitely weigh on the energy sector. Uh, you know, if a, a candidate with one of these policies kind of comes to the forefront by late, later this year. Yeah, I'm, I think that's definitely the the kind of the big one. If you wanted to call it a macro thing, that's definitely the kind of the, the macro thing. But I think a smaller thing that's, that's, um, it's pretty important, but it, it, I think it has a bigger material impact on, on certain smaller companies, the, the alternative fuel tax credits. Um, there's some of some of our listeners are probably aware of something called the 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 the, um, the tax was the tax extenders, I think, or it's it's just this bucket of of, of uh, tax credits that historically over the past decade or twelve years that they tend to get renewed like kind of close to the end of the year every single year, and then every once in a while they don't get renewed, and then they get renewed again and made. Um, uh, they grandfather in the period that wasn't covered, and then they get extended for two or three years. So anyway, this the alternative fuel tax credits um, have an outside uh, benefit for companies like clean energy fuels. It's a small natural gas uh, for transportation uh, company. Um, for, for somebody like clean energy fuels, if this this tax was credit wasn't in place this year uh, in 2019, uh, if it gets reinstated. Uh, it, it would be in, in made retroactive for 2019 and all of 2020. The company would probably get a cash tax return just on this one credit. It would be enough to pay off all of its debt. Um, and the company's been working to clean up its balance sheet. Made a lot of progress, but to be able to say, hey, we have no debt. And by the way, we've got an extra $50 million in cash um, <clears throat> would, would be a pretty, a pretty powerful thing. Um, so, so, so I think that's, that's one of the things I'm kind of watching and, and I think you'd see more push for that. Um, if there was a, a, a Democrat in the white house, um, and maybe Democrats took a little bit more, um, <clears throat> position in, uh, in, in, in Congress, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens in November. Yeah. I think Jason, to your point on, on tax credits as well, we're seeing, I think starting in 2020, uh, the solar investment tax credit starts to sunset. Uh, we see uh, starting in 2020, Tesla and GM will be the first uh, EV makers that will see their their uh, federal tax credits start to roll off. And uh, there has been talk several times about extending those tax credits that have been done in the past. And that would be another significant uh, tax credit to follow uh, uh, this year, particularly as EVs and solar become a bigger and bigger uh, a part of um, you know the future of, of energy. Um, you know, as we kind of move on to talk about kind of some themes of the energy market that folks should pay attention to, I got a, I got a few kind of uh, questions to ask you guys about. So first off, what's uh, one thing you think that people get wrong about the energy markets or about investing in energy? I'll take that one. That's it, one of the things that's been kind of surprising to me to learn over the years. Is it's not driven by fundamentals as much as I thought, but sentiment plays this big role in how well like oil stocks perform. And the big we've seen that this year. 
the U.S. oil benchmark WTI is up like 27% at the right now. And however, oil stocks have underperformed. They're, you know, the one of the big ETFs that follow oil stocks is actually down this year. And that's that's different than what we've found over the past. So there's been this big dislocation in recent years with fundamentals and sentiment. And uh, a lot of that, I think, is driven just by the fact that it's been so hard. Uh, things have underperformed for so long that investors just have kind of given up on you know the energy market in total. And it's not just retail investors. We, we've seen through the capital markets, it's almost impossible for oil companies to issue stock or to um, sell or to, to get new debt at good rates. So there's just been this huge change in sentiment that's been made it really difficult for the market to operate. And that's just not the way it's always been. So that's something that investors really need to, to learn is that, you know, even though oil prices are up doesn't mean oil stocks will go up. Yeah, I just um, I'm going to kind of chime in on on that um, just to kind of further uh, show some numbers to to kind of prove that out. The uh, that the that S, the oil and gas explorer and producer uh, ETF um, XOP, I think it's going to probably finish 2019 down like 20 percent. You know, between 15 or 20 percent. I think it'll probably end up down like 35 percent from the uh, the high that it hit early this spring. And West Texas crude is going to finish the year up between 25 and 30 percent, right? So we're talking about again the companies that directly benefit from higher commodity prices as a group. Sentiment, their their stock prices as a group are going to be down double digits, while commodity prices are up double digits. I mean that's that's it. But but I think the other part of it too, and I think this ties to it for me is you know I think a lot of investors review view renewables. As this panacea that's that's you know that's gonna that's gonna kill fossil fuels over the next decade or twenty years, and certainly you know I think the oil industry is dying. Um, it's just not dying yet, and it won't die quickly. We're talking about it's going to take thirty or forty or fifty years for the oil industry to quote unquote die. Um, renewables are just a bare fraction of the the global energy market, and even as they grow and become a bigger fraction. You know, oil and gas are going to remain a dominant, dominant way we power the world. One thing people get wrong about the energy market is that they underestimate the role of nuclear in our power grid today. Uh, nuclear plants have provided about 20% of the power generated in the United States since 1990. In some countries, it's even higher than that. So France, for example, generates about 75% of its electricity from nuclear energy. And all that is generated without producing greenhouse gases, making nuclear one of the most important sources of clean energy in the world today. In fact, more energy was produced in the U.S. from nuclear in 2018 than from all other renewable power sources combined, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. Nuclear has advantages from an operational point of view as well. Unlike wind and solar that only generate power when the sun is out or when the wind is blowing, nuclear operates at full power more than 92% of the time, and that's a better utilization rate than even coal and natural gas, while, as I mentioned earlier, providing consistent and clean power. However, political issues and fears surrounding nuclear are well documented. The most recent reactor to come online in the U.S. was in 2016, and before that, no reactors had come online for 20 years. Today, the average nuclear reactor in the United States is about 38 years old, with most reactors having been designed for a useful life of 40 years. While evidence suggests that most of those reactors will be able to be extended to last well beyond their original useful lives, the IA still projects that nuclear's share of total energy generation will decline in every year through 2050 due to plant retirements. 
Given nuclear's attractiveness as a producer of clean, consistent energy and its status as a technology that could reshape our grid today, uh, given adequate political will, I think nuclear should have a growing role in, in the energy grid as we work to combat climate change rather than a declining one. Regardless, though, uh, nuclear should be on everyone's minds as the power plants providing our most significant source of clean energy today's age and as the world works to provide a cleaner global power grid to address pollution and climate change. Do you guys have any thoughts on the role of nuclear going forward? Yeah, I think you know, none other than Bill Gates is a pretty big proponent of of, uh, of nuclear energy. Uh, for those reasons, I think he he also points out the needs for like industrial energy um, and how nuclear just you know there there are places parts of the industrial chain that are going to continue to produce you know, massive emissions no matter all the other pieces of it and 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 nuclear can and probably should be a a big a big part of of that that no emissions power. So yeah, I I, I think I think you're probably right. All right, uh, next kind of segment. Either of y'all have a bold prediction about the energy market for 2020? I do. I think that. Uh, there's been a lot of mergers and acquisitions in the energy market in the past couple of years, but I, I really think that 2020 is going to be the year that we just see just a ton of mergers and acquisitions. But I think what's going to be different is that we're not going to see these huge um, mega premium deals. Like earlier this year, uh, we had Chevron bidding on Anadarko and then getting outbid by Occidental and just this huge debacle. Um I think we're going to see a lot of what would be called merger of equals, where there's no premium deals, straight up stock for stock. It, the reason being is these companies just need scale to drive down costs. And the only way they're going to do that is to come join forces. So I think we're going to see just a ton of mergers. I've got some that I've kind of keep my eye on. I, I really think would be good fits. So my bold predictions for this are, I think Devin's going to buy Marathon Petroleum. Uh, Diamondback Energy is going to buy Concho Energy. And then... Uh, ExxonMobil, I think, is going to make a big buy and merge with ConocoPhillips. You're not messing around, Matt. That's, no. <laughs> that's you're stepping out there. It's so bold. It is. It is. You know, I, of, of those, honestly, I think that the ExxonMobil buying ConocoPhillips, I think that might strike a lot of people as just is just, whoa, that's that's crazy. But that's actually a really good fit. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that really is a really really good fit. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go in a different direction. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold. I'm going to say offshore drillers will finally be a great investment in 2020. Um, I think they almost have to be though, to be honest with you. I'm bottom, I'm bottom, I'm bottom fishing a little bit there. Um, but seriously, I think for my bold prediction is going to be that Tesla grows its solar business in 2020 and then it takes market share from SunPower, uh, Vivid and Sunrun. Those are for, for, the uninitiated, those are the biggest, you know, residential solar installers and commercial solar installers in the U.S. I think Tesla's going to grow that business and it's going to take market share this year. So uh, next, next, uh, next kind of uh, segment is what are, what are y'all's, I, wanna, I don't want to say your top pick because that's always, that's always tough, but what, uh, what energy stock would you be most excited to own going into 2020? You know, I've been thinking about energy transfer for years and years and years, and I'm glad to this point that I haven't bought because it's done nothing but go down. Uh, however, it it for me it checks all the boxes. It is just so ridiculously cheap now right now. It trades at eight times its earnings. Most midstream companies uh, trade at ten plus times earnings, so it's just so cheap, and that's because it's it's growing its earnings even though its stock is falling. 
it also pays just an enormous dividend. It's 9.7% at this moment. And it generates enough cash to cover that two times, which is really safe uh, as far as coverage goes. And most, uh, it's a master limited partnership. So they typically try to do 1.2 times coverage. So it's a ridiculously uh, margin of safety there. And uh, they've done a good job, you know, fixing up their balance sheet to get their leverage down. So I think that's a safe payout. I think they might actually start increasing it in 2020 uh, because they're growing earnings. They grew their earnings uh, double digits for like the past five years or on track for another double digit earnings growth next year. They just bought um, some group, which will give them another oil port. They're, you know, they're integrated into oil exports. And I think that's a big market. They've got a lot of organic expansion. So I'm really tempted to buy that. I think I will buy that. Um, that's the one that I think has the potential to do extremely well next year. You know, it's funny. I think to a certain extent, uh, energy transfer lately has kind of been a, a product of, of of its past a little bit in terms of, you know, it, it's it's had some challenges that it's had to work through over the years. And then, then you have the sentiment where, <clears throat> where it's just kind of blo- blocked in as a quote unquote oil stock. Um, but I think you're right. I think, you know, a lot of times people see that, you know, Tim, nearly 10% yield. And it's like, wow, that's, that's gotta be a dividend trap, right? This is, you know, something bad's going to happen and I'm not going to buy it. And then they're going to cut the dividend and then the stock's going to fall 30%. I'm not falling for that energy transfer, but I think you're right. I think, you know, you've, it's, it's, it's just such a, such a, it's a, it's an opportunistic chance to, to buy one of these guys that you buy usually for yield, but you probably get some really good capital appreciation because, you know, the, the value is just, it's so, it's so, it's so cheap. Um, so with, with that said, I'm going to, I'm going to go uh, a similar, slightly different direction. I'm going to go with an expensive, um, <clears throat> renewable energy company, Brookfield Renewable Partners. Uh, the stock has absolutely been on a tear. Um, <clears throat> but I think deservedly so because it's a great company. Uh, it's part of that Brookfield group where they, they just, they know how to manage assets. They know how to invest in assets that make money. Um, I'm going to say this is, this is one that I, I don't know if I'd necessarily buy today if, if, unless I just didn't own it, I think it's worth starting a position today, but I have a ton of it. Um, so I'm going to say that's my own forever. Uh, if I was going to buy today, <clears throat> uh, my buy now is Tellurian. Um, we did a show, uh, not too long ago, Nick, about, uh, the LNG exporters, liquefied natural gas exporters. Tellurian is one we talked a lot about. Great management that have a solid operational background from their time at Chenier. Uh, it's got f- uh, founders, co-founders that are still really involved. It's got great, great prospects. <clears throat> it's a little higher on the risk scale because they still don't have a business. They're, they're still just in the early stages of planning out and getting ready to build, you know, and they, they're going to have to spend you know, upwards of $30 billion to build this, this export facility and a couple of pipelines. Uh, but they have the right team in place to do it. There's a huge opportunity. And, and I think after the recent <clears throat> kind of tumble the stock's taken, I mean, I think five years from now, there's a realistic possibility this is a 10-bagger stock. Um, even if it's not a 10-bagger, I think that it has a better than average chance of absolutely crushing the market over the next five to 10 years. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. We discussed when you had, you know, we did that show uh, maybe a week or so back. Um, you have the management in place there at Tellurian that's done it before. 
uh, an opportunity before you uh, from a macro point of view that just really sets up nicely for them. Uh, and so you can you can really see uh, the way things could line up, and it could really be a, a very successful stock. I think for for me right now, I don't know if I have an individual stock pick, uh, but I do think going off some of the themes. Uh, that we said earlier about how we think there's going to be continued consolidation in the E&P space, about how uh, energy uh, prices uh, are, are low relative to to the value that uh, these businesses provide. Uh, I think uh, companies that are alternative asset managers that are sources of permanent capital are, are well positioned going here going forward. So uh, you know we talk about Brookfield Asset Management a lot on on this. Uh, on this show, Jason mentioned uh, Brookfield Renewable Partners. We talked about the merger between Occidental and Anadarko Petroleum earlier this year. That Berkshire Hathaway was really able to extract incredible terms um, out of that deal as the capital provider. There, uh, you look at how low interest rates are over time. I think you're really well positioned uh, to invest in one of those kind of alternative asset uh, management companies, whether it's you know uh, a Brookfield or whether it's uh, it's Berkshire Hathaway or a company we're going to talk about on this show. Uh, I think I think. Next week it'll be. Well, we've already been out by the time uh, by the time this show comes out. Is Lowe's a company that is, that is uh, touches a few of these areas? They have a, they have a stake in Diamond Offshore. But I think um, so. And by and by Lowe's, you're not talking about the home improvement company. Yes, L O E W S. The other Lowe's, right? Yes. <laughs> um, but I, I think these these sorts of companies that you know have have permanent capital uh, and are you know well positioned to invest going into the future, I, I think are a place to look um, in the market. All right, moving away from energy and more towards the new year and investing as we close out, uh, Matt and Jason, what are your New Year's investing resolutions for 2020? Well, one of the things that I know I struggle with as an investor sometimes is I tend to be really risk averse. Uh, that's why I like things with predictable cash flows and uh, you know high dividends. And even though those um, have tended to have more risk than I expected. Um, I, I want to like be a little bit more risky with some of my energy picks, especially on the renewable side. Renewables is just this multi-decade trend. Uh, and so I, I think buying renewable stocks this year, even though they've been crazy, like Jason mentioned, Brookfield Renewables, been gangbusters. A lot of solar stocks are up triple digits this year. However, when you're when you're looking decades out, I think, you know, renewables is just going to be the like the place to go so with really one dollar or um, zero dollar commissions i want to just take advantage of buying renewables and, and build a basket of different renewables to to go with you know my lower risk brookfield position in terraform power and some of those but i want to add some solar panel makers and some you know maybe wind turbine type stuff and just build out a, a really nice portfolio of renewable stuff to just benefit from this long long-term trend yeah, um, <clears throat> Matt and I were uh, chatting on Slack a couple of weeks ago. We we're talking. We we're talking about Pattern Energy, uh, which recently and um, reached a deal to go private. And um, I, I've been a big bull on on Pattern uh, for the past maybe year and a half or so. A couple of years, stock's done really well uh, with with some risk. And 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 Matt, I think the last thing Matt said to me. Uh, in the email was eventually he would learn <laughs> talking about that. So I want to laud you for for taking taking this uh, this approach. And I agree. You know, zero dollar commissions, such a great way for investors. I, I I don't think people should use it as as a reason to trade more, but I think people should use it like you're talking about as ways to to build 
more diversified baskets because, you know, you can throw a few hundred bucks, you know, you've got five or six companies you like in a, in an industry and you don't really know which one or two you want to buy. There's no reason now why you can't spread your capital across the, the entire basket and, uh, and, and build some diversity into a sector that you like. And then you also, you don't have to worry about, you know, uh, trying to pick the winners and avoid the losers. Um, and, and I think it, it, it can pay off. Um, ironically though, my resolution, uh, for, for, for 2020 is to make fewer, bigger bets. Um, I've, I've always been one to kind of spread my capital around. Um, I own well over a hundred individual, individual stocks. Um, but as my, as my knowledge and experience has, has increased, um, I, I, I think I've, I've identified, you know, half a dozen to 10, uh, stocks that I own a little bit of that I really like a lot. And it's time for me to start making some bigger bets. Uh, specifically I'm looking at, you know, renewables, um, some global infrastructure companies and, um, some real estate investments that I, uh, that, that I, some REITs out there that I really like a lot. Yeah, I think I think those are those are great uh, things to work on uh, for the new year. I say for my part, I think uh, I, I've I've become I guess more hesitant uh, to just invest every month. I've gotten out of the habit of investing a set amount of money every month. I've tried to pick and choose a little bit a little bit uh, more than probably I should with timing the market. So I think my uh, resolution is for 2020 to buy the same uh, dollar amount of stock every month. And you know whether whether I'm I'm you know whatever my thoughts are on the market, making uh, my uh, you know whatever I think uh, is the best stock to buy at that time uh, each month. I do think you guys missed the one big important uh, part of this uh, zero dollar commissions and corollary. Uh, everybody moving to fractional shares. Robinhood just came out; they're going to allow fractional shares. Is that I can tell everybody. I'm a Berkshire A shareholder now, starting next year. So, all all our listeners, you can do that too, and uh, we can make everybody think we're superstars because we own Berkshire A. And uh, for folks nice. who aren't, for folks who don't know, uh, the Berkshire A shares are the three hundred, the ones who sell for three hundred thousand dollars a pop. Um, you know, unless you were, unless you've been, uh, you know, hanging out with with Warren Buffett for a long period of time, uh, you need to be a superstar uh, to be to be moving those around. But I tell you, as soon as we get access to fractional shares. The first thing I'm buying, were, uh, Berkshire A shares. All right, y'all. <laughs> uh, thanks Good so much for coming you. on the show, as always. Um, and uh, I hope all our listeners enjoyed this preview show for 2020. We bring in lots more coverage of the energy and industrial markets uh, as much as we can. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Happy New Year to you guys. Happy New Year. As Happy always, year. people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Dan Boyd for his work behind the glass. For Jason Hall and Matt DeLalo, I'm Nick Seifel. Thanks for listening and cool on.